0: She was like, never wanted to do things by herself. Like, she'd be like, I need to go to the grocery store. Come with me. I'm like, I don't want to. She's like, I don't want to go by myself. Come with me. Like, everything she did, she took someone with her because she didn't want to do it by herself. Oh my gosh, I love doing I things know. by myself. I know, I am the same can way. Can I <laughs> use
1: the bathroom by myself, please? Like, can that I do place. anything by myself, <laughs> you know? <laughs>
2: the podcast with a different style don't be a square it's time to twist and shout because this is the station all the cool kids are talking about so take down those stacks of wax and put on your listening caps this is the motivation station with katie bellarino
1: well thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the motivation station with katie bellarino and that's me your host katie bellarino Our guest today is the most amazing woman, y'all. She is a wife, mom of three, entrepreneur, someone who is very involved in her community. Her story is full of determination, heartache, grief, and yet she still is choosing joy daily. Ladies and gentlemen, Nadia Sanchez. Yeah. <laughs> Nadia, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah,
0: thanks for having me.
1: It's so funny because your shirt that you're wearing right now <laughs> says choose happy. I know. Did you do that on purpose? No, <laughs> okay. I just love this shirt. I love that. I love that. Okay, Nadia. So why don't you start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Sure. So I am, I feel like you kind of like recapped all the things about me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was born and raised in New Orleans. I'm married. I have three kids two girls and a boy. I work full time. I do own a business. It's kind of like my side hustle that I like to do trying to think what else I don't know
1: so where you work full-time where are you allowed to say like you have a corporate job right I do yeah and then what is your business your personal business your quote-unquote side hustle
0: (laughs) yeah uh so it's an online boutique for kids clothes me and a friend of mine started it when we both had our first kids so we had she had her son and I had my daughter at the same time she adopted her son I had my daughter but they end up being like the same exact age almost okay and so when we had them we were like man it's so hard finding clothes that we love, like, you know, you can shop around and find things here and there, but you kind of like end up shopping at a lot of different places to find your own like unique style for right. your clothes and how you want to dress your kids yeah and so we're like let's start our own business and just buy stuff that like we would want to buy for our kids which is kind of our downfall because we go shopping and like we go to market <laughs> and we're like yeah like can we're gonna this. buy this yeah. yeah exactly so our kids have like a ton of clothes and we're like and also it's for sale right um so yeah that's how that got started
1: and you'll definitely have more of, like, a funky style. It's not, like, the typical southern mm-hmm. smocking. It's more, like, trendy kind of. Yeah,
0: it is. So it, it is a little more trendy. We like to say we we have fun with kids' fashion. Because yeah. it's not. I don't particularly like kids' fashion that looks like adult clothes. Like, I don't want my 4-year-old dressing like Kim a K. 25-year-old. Yeah, yeah.
1: Kim K with her top mat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: like, I don't, you know, I don't want her in, like, off-the-shoulder clothes at 4. <laughs> it's cute for, like, adults. but As I'm in
1: an off-the-shoulder
0: off the Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> (laughs) It's cute for adults. Uh.
1: Yeah, right. Thanks. Thanks, Nadia. I appreciate that. But we're 4 year olds (laughs) Right. Yeah, you know, still trying to keep them.
0: innocent. yeah. Yeah. And so we do try to find stuff that's cute and trendy for them, but still, you know, appropriate for a child.
1: Yeah. And what does your husband do?
0: So he works for our church here. He works for Celebration. Um, He's the facility manager over there. So he kind of oversees, like, everything that has to do with their building, Um, All of that, yeah. And you
1: were born here in New Orleans.
0: I was. Have you lived here your whole life? Okay, so I moved to Dallas to go to school. So when I graduated high school, I moved to Dallas. I lived there for three years. Um, And then I moved to Jacksonville, Florida with my husband for five years. And then we moved back here about six years ago.
1: Okay, I didn't know that you went to college in in Dallas. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that about Mm -hmm. you. Okay, yeah, so pretty much you grew up here, though.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty much.
1: So, um, how did you and your husband meet?
0: We met in Dallas at school. Kind of a funny story, I guess. He was the ex boyfriend of a friend of mine, Mm. and so I love that. I know everyone's face. So, yeah, yeah, we we met that way. And we were friends for a while. We went to school together. We were friends. We had, like, the same group of friends. Yeah. And then it kind of just evolved into us dating. And then we started dating. We graduated school. He got a job in Florida. And we'd only been dating for, like, six months. And he's like, well, I got this job in Florida. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, um, I'll move with you. <laughs> just, got, like, invited myself. What were y'all doing in Florida? <laughs> he was a youth pastor. Oh, so he got Yeah, he got a job with, like, a church plant there that was just starting – that was actually his old youth pastor from Austin, started a church in Florida, and asked Christian to come be the youth pastor there. And okay, so I didn't accepted. realize that. Mm-hmm. All
1: right, so y'all met like at, was it like a Bible college? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. That's awesome. When did you st- decide to start your own business, and why?
0: So I've always wanted to have my own business, like since I can remember I wanted to have my own business. Um the idea kind of evolved with Emily, with my business partner, in 2018. So like fall of 2018, I guess with us having our kids, it kind of came to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always wanted to have my own business. When I started – the idea, I started making jewelry and the idea initially was like, I'll make jewelry and then I'll give a portion of this to like charity. And I went, when we lived in Florida, I went on a missions trip to Haiti and I was like, oh, this would be a really cool idea to like sell jewelry from Haiti and give, you know, a portion of it back to the place where it's made, which you kind of like see a lot of now. It's like making
1: them business owners kind of, you know, giving
0: them an outlet to work for themselves. Definitely, definitely. And so it was kind of like, you you kind of see it more now, but it was before that was really, like, on anyone's radar. Yeah. Um, I just – I was so young. I don't really think I knew how to, like – pick it up and go forward with it and so I did a lot of making my own jewelry when I moved here I made my own jewelry I sold it wholesale to like retailers here and then I had Trinity and I just couldn't devote the time to making all my own jewelry and all of that and so so
1: is Trinity your first or your second first okay and then what's your middle daughter Nora Nora and then tell us about the baby
0: <laughs> so Elias is the baby
1: he's- and he's huge. <laughs> he's huge
0: he's so cute his yeah. leg. Oh he's enormous. God. I know last week my brother was in town and I'm like, "Look at his shorts. Like, look how cute he is." And he's like, "Yeah, those are adorable, but I feel like shorts, you should like be able to move your leg around. Like there Poor
1: should be thing. room." And he's like blonde hair, blue eye, right? Yes. And you are not. Yeah. No, I'm
0: not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for everyone listening who can't see me, I'm yeah. definitely not. Um, that's like a super recessive trait. <laughs> exactly. He's so precious, so Thanks. sweet. Yeah.
1: So you you're full of ideas, you know, just from talking with you every that and we can get more into that later just like your vision for your company and everything like that and just for the world in general i just want to go let's touch back a little bit on how you grew up and you know you're from here from new orleans Mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about your childhood
0: Yeah. Okay. So, um, enough with the light and fluffy. (laughs) Let's get down and dirty. Let's get into it.
1: Disclaimer. (laughs) This is going to be a little heavy. So if you're not into the heaviness of a podcast might not be the one for you, but it's definitely the one to listen to.
0: Yeah. It'll end on a high note. Of course. Probably. As every motivational story does. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So, my childhood, yeah, I grew up here. So, my mom uh, got pregnant when she was 17. Yeah, she got pregnant with me and... Didn't really want to be pregnant. She told me not too long ago, a couple years ago, that she actually wanted to have an abortion when she found out she was pregnant with me because she was very much living like party, 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 like go, go, go Mm kind of lifestyle. Her and my dad were real heavy into drinking and using drugs and, you know, just partying, like Mm -hmm. living their lives. And so she found out she was pregnant and didn't want to be pregnant and had some jewelry that my grandma had given her that she thought was diamond earrings that she took to a pawn shop to pawn to pay for an abortion. Oh, my God. And when she went in, the guy that worked there was like, this is not a diamond. These are not diamond earrings. Um, It's cubic sirconium yeah. or whatever it mm-hmm. is. And so he basically told her, like, I can give you next to nothing for this. And so she was kind of distraught and went to her aunt and told her, you know, I'm pregnant. I want to have an abortion. Told her the whole deal that just happened. And her aunt basically said, you're not having an abortion. We're all going to help you. Like your family. This is our family. You're not having an abortion. We're all going to help you raise this child. And my mom was like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it kind of was a real simple thing, like a real simple conversation. She just kind of needed someone to say it's going to be okay. Yeah, Yeah. like you're not on your own.
1: I think so many young women are just scared and Mm -hmm. fearful. And Mm -hmm. it is so scary when you're pregnant and you're going to have a baby and you don't know what to expect, especially if you're like alone in it. Yeah. So I'm sure that was extremely comforting to her to hear that. You have another option. We'll help you. you yes,
0: know? definitely. And so, yeah. So she had me. Um, and then her and my dad ended up. They actually got married when okay. they were teenagers. Teenagers? Yes. They got married when she found out she was pregnant. Yes. Yes. Um, her, Their wedding pictures are kind of funny. She's in like a black lace wedding dress. <laughs> Yeah, they were very like punk rock. So her hair is like yeah. mohawks. Yeah. Oh my and, like, god, i funny. Yeah. So yeah, there's that. Um, and you were in her tummy, or yes. you were already born? No, she was pregnant. Oh my god. Yeah. So real interesting. Um. So they were married for a couple years. On paper, they were married longer, but after a couple years, they separated and eventually got divorced. She started dating my brother's dad. Okay. Um. And my dad ended up getting remarried, and then her relationship with my brother's dad was very rocky it was very abusive physically verbally emotionally like every Mm. range of the spectrum of abuse very intense very intense violence and it's hard when you're in a situation like that because you know my mom was very young she had my brother five years after she had me so she was in her early 20s she had two kids she's in this relationship that's very abusive very detrimental to her life Yeah. But you love the person that you're with, you know, and her upbringing wasn't very good. And so she didn't have any context of what her worth was or what her life could look like outside of a relationship like that. And so.
1: So how old were you at this time?
0: I was probably about four when they started dating. And then she had my brother when I was five. So do you have memories of their relationship? Oh, yeah. They were together a long time. They were together about 10 years. So, yeah.
1: memories of the the hard parts, like. The abuse
0: definitely. I mean, that was my reality growing up, and it was difficult. I mean, I had to call the police a lot. There were times when, after I would call the police, my mom would just look at me and say, "It's your. This is your fault. This is happening." Or I would wake up the next morning, and she wouldn't want to get out of bed, and she would just be crying. And I would go and like rub her hair, and be like, "Mom, are you okay?" And she would just look at me and say, "It's your fault. I'm upset." And so, wow. yeah, I mean, it it was hard and. I mean hard for her too, I feel like, because She was in
1: it. And you're
0: you're in it. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't you don't know. Like, kind
1: of blinded when you're in it, not yeah. seeing from like bird's eye view.
0: Yeah. I think emotionally you don't know how to pull yourself out of yourself almost to, to see what you can do better. You mm-hmm. just kinda like, This is life, it is what it is. And that's right. You know, I talk to a social worker at school all the time and I had a conversation with my mom and her boyfriend at one time when he was like, you know, whatever happens in our house is normal. No one outside of our house needs to know about it. No one cares really? what you have to say. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Like a very serious conversation. Like no, literally said, no one cares about what you have to say. And so you don't need to tell anyone what goes on here. It's none of their business and they don't care. You know, that's not uncommon. It's not uncommon in situations of abuse for the abuser to make you feel like that's normal yeah. and like you're overreacting and no one cares about it because it's normal. And so, yeah, it took a lot of time for me to grow out of that mentality. So how long were they together? I want to say seven years.
1: That's a long time. Does your brother remember any of this? He doesn't.
0: And okay. so I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad he doesn't. Of, does he have a relationship with his father? He does. It's kind of limited, but he does. Yeah. Do you talk to him? I don't. Um, Yeah. There's not really that often that I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So I guess it doesn't really
1: come up. So, okay. So your your mom had you Mm -hmm. and she was with your brother's father. Mm -hmm. So when did they split up and what was that like? What was going on?
0: Um, Okay. So they... We're together until I was like 11, and we moved out of living with him. Growing up, we constantly moved in, moved out, moved in, moved out. I lived with my grandparents at times growing up because it would just – My mom would be like, "It's too dangerous of a situation. You can't live with us." We shuffled around a lot, Mm -hmm. and then eventually, around when I was 11, she moved out. We had our own place. She was really trying to establish herself on her own without being in this relationship. Yeah, I think it was really hard for her to completely break away because they had a child together and they right crazy as it sounds. He had really redeeming qualities too,
1: and they were connected. And And it's like we don't understand that, but they were.
0: Yeah, I mean, they were genuinely in love with each other, but I think she realized it. too unhealthy and dangerous and dysfunctional and all of those things. And so she tried to separate herself from the situation. He actually broke into the house while we were at school. He broke in, attacked her.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. Like other things, details I won't go into. But after that episode of that happening, she was just at like her lowest point. She tried to commit suicide. She called a friend of hers, was talking on the phone with him and told him, I can't do this anymore. Basically, I can't live. I don't want to live like this. My kids would be better off if I wasn't here. She felt like taking herself out of the equation, she would eliminate all of the chaos that was happening around her. Mm-hmm. And so she took a bottle of some pills with a bottle of vodka and eventually just stopped talking because she was talking on the phone and eventually just stopped talking. And her friend called the police and said, I think – something's wrong I think someone needs to go check on her and so when they did they found her there they had to take her to the hospital and pump her stomach and do all of that Um, you were how old at this time 12 so I was like between this is like between 11 and 12 yeah but that episode I guess if you want to say was really like the finality of their relationship I think that was kind of when it came to a head and she was like this is the last straw like this is the last thing I can accept
1: yeah you know to kind of touch on suicide I don't have any experience in this area of my life, meaning, you know, no one in my immediate circle has taken their life. Mm -hmm. But I know that it's something that's extremely common and that people are struggling and they're sad, they're depressed. They probably felt a lot of the same things that your mom felt, you know, they don't vocalize it. Mm -hmm. So I guess what I want to ask is, you know, if anyone's listening that maybe struggling with depression or in the past have struggled with depression or know anyone that might be going through something like this. Could you give the other end of the spectrum in that? Like you may think that taking yourself out of this equation may make things better, but really like it won't. So from your end where you're like, I mean, of course, course you're so glad your mom didn't do that, you know? Mm -hmm. So like what on the opposite end could you tell these people, you know, what do they need to hear to know that that's not the answer?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's hard because I didn't even realize the full extent of how she felt until I was an adult, like a few years ago when we actually had the conversation. And she said, you know, when I wanted to kill myself, I genuinely thought your life will be better if I'm not here. Your life will be better if I'm not in it. And that's so hard to hear because, you know, that's someone that you value. And so Mm -hmm. to people who I think are at that lowest point where they feel like, life will be better for other people if I'm not in it. That's a lie. It's just a lie. And I think that, you know, a lot of times we're lied to by the voices in our head and it kind of pounds on in your head, you know, like you're not worth anything. You're making life harder for people, but you're so valuable. Your life has so much value and the people around you have so much patience for what you feel like are screw ups and what you feel like are mistakes and what you feel like Mm -hmm. are things about yourself that you can't change or you wish were different. The people around you value you so much that they're willing to be so patient with you and work through those things with you because they need you in their life. You might not feel like you have a purpose in their life right now. You might feel like I'm just a burden. They just have to take care of me all the time. They're just worried about me all the time all I do is bring people down. The reality is if they didn't care, they wouldn't keep showing up for you. Yeah. And they wouldn't want better for you. They wouldn't tell you your life matters if they, if they didn't want to put the work in for you to be here with them. Yeah.
1: Oh my gosh. I love that so much. (laughs) That was great, Nadia. Okay. So back to your mom. Mm -hmm. So she finally broke away from the unhealthy relationship Mm -hmm. with your brother's father and she was rescued. And you know, lived another day. So what what happened in y'all's life after all of that?
0: Yeah. So she quite literally lived to see another day, (laughs) was in the hospital and then moved in with my aunt. My brother and I had to move in with my grandparents in moving in with them after, you know, a month or so, maybe a couple months. My mom was like, I want to see my kids. And my grandma said, well, if you want to see them, you have to come to church with me. And my mom, we grew up Catholic, and I'll say like quote unquote Catholic because we never were like really practicing Catholics. We were just kind of like, yeah, we're Catholic. Yeah. Um, and my grandma was Christian, like non-denominational Christian. Yeah. Um, and my mom was very like, I don't know, didn't take it very seriously. Like she yeah. was like, whatever, you're in a cult, like you're brainwashed. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> didn't want anything to do with it. And so when that was the ultimatum for her, like if you want to see your kids, you have to come to church. My mom was like huge eye roll.
1: Of course um, that- <laughs> That's what you want me to do, right, Mom? <laughs> right,
0: right. So basically, like, I'll come, but I'm not joining your cult. Yeah. Um, and so she came, and that is when she actually met Jesus for real. Yeah. Had a real encounter with him, totally unexpected. She was literally sitting in the pew with her coat over her head, with her legs up on the pew in front of her, basically in a cocoon. Yeah, like like in a ball. Like in a ball. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) In the pew, in a ball, like could not be more disrespectful (laughs) during the service and literally said that the pastor was doing an altar call. This is the end of the service. And she pulled her coat back and looked around and she's like, people are raising their hands and there's yeah. like some woman dancing. <laughs> and she's like, if this is what you have for me, I don't want any part of it. Yeah. And she's like, I cannot believe this is what my life has come to. Yeah. If this is Christianity by yeah. like, I don't want anything to do me. with not it Not for me, not for me. But yeah. And you know, in an instant, her life changed the way that she explained it was like everything around her at that moment just kind of stood still. She kind of felt like, an audible voice had said to her, things must change. And she, in fact, turned around in the pew and thought someone was thought talking Someone was talking to her. Her mom was just kind of looking at her. And my mom just kind of looked at her like, what the, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> like, what yeah. is going on? And she said when she looked up, the pastor was saying, come up to the altar. Now is the time. Things must change in your life. Come up to the altar. Give your heart to Jesus. And that was she it. did.
1: Yeah. That's incredible. Even wrapped up in a cocoon. <laughs> I know. She still heard something and felt something. That's amazing. Okay, so let's back up a tad bit. Before your mother had an encounter with God, mm-hmm. when you were going through all of this with her, like when she got back from the hospital, mm-hmm. like, did you have friends, like childhood friends? Like, what were you, were you talking to anyone about these things? Like, how did you cope with all of this as a yeah. child?
0: We, My brother and I didn't really know what was going on. So it wasn't until like my adult life that I really knew what happened to her – that year of my life.
1: So she was just kind
0: of absent? Yes. Okay. Yeah, she was just kind of absent. It wasn't unusual to me because I'd already lived with my grandparents off and on yeah. throughout, you know, my growing up years or whatever, however you want to say that, childhood years. And so when we had to move back in with my grandparents, it wasn't unusual to me. Because right. it just was like just kind of like, them again. Yeah. yeah, and so we just didn't know anything else about it. My grandma would say like, your mom's not feeling well. Your mom has to get better. You can see her in a few weeks. She has to get better. And so we just kind of thought maybe she's sick. Like we didn't really know. It was just very like ambiguous. So no, I didn't really talk to anyone about it. I didn't really see any need to because I didn't know what was going on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, that's good. At least you were kind of <laughs> got protected you from turmoil and heartache that you probably wouldn't have been able to maybe process that well at that age.
0: Yeah. I mean, as an adult, it's different. As an adult, I definitely did some processing of my own. Because mm-hmm. then you you do go to like the idea of, wow, like my own parent was going <laughs> to kill herself. Leave me here on this earth. And like, did she not even think about how that would affect my life? What she about me? She, she probably
1: thought she was doing you a favor, like you said. Right. You're like mom. Exactly. Um, okay, so you said she changed her life around. Mm-hmm. Um. What was that like for you as a child to witness your mom one way and then you said completely different? She was.
0: Yeah, it was pretty incredible because – You know, aside from the violence that I endured growing up and witnessed and the violence she endured, I should say, that I've just witnessed, she was an alcoholic. And so she had a real drinking problem. She would drink all day long. She was a functioning alcoholic. So she would work and she would leave us in aftercare and get us at six o'clock so she could go to happy hour, like (laughs) legitimately. I mean, there are some days where I'm like, I feel you, mom. I know, right? I'm like, I mean... I know. Sometimes. Yeah. I'm not going to bash anyone that does that occasionally. You're like functioning alcoholic, though, is a little different than in the occasional happy hour. Yeah. Yeah. Let me just like draw some boundaries here. Yeah. Exactly. Once in a while is acceptable. Exactly. But yeah. So it was totally different because she literally, her life changed in an instant. She never touched an alcoholic beverage again. Wow. Really? Never never incredible she chain smoked she was an alcoholic she partied she was like living the life with two kids yeah and then you know she's so beautiful too I mean I've seen
1: pictures of her yeah you could tell like she probably just walked into a room and she was just so pretty and lively you know yeah yeah yeah
0: Yeah, she was so yeah it was pretty incredible and pretty I mean as a kid that's amazing because you go from this life where you're like basically raising your parents Mm. to a total like 180 where you know, I could see her trying to learn how to parent. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting because it was kind of like on the one hand, I was like, well, this is good, but also like this is annoying. Why are you telling me no to things? And like, why aren't you letting me get my way all the time?
1: Yeah. So what was that like? Like as a child, when she was finally stepping into her parent role, did you give her grace that you can remember? Or was it more
0: like, like, did you secretly kind of like the, the boundaries? It was hard. It was really hard. So initially you know, I was young, I was like 12 when we really started going to church. And so I respected her as my parent and like her trying to be a better parent. And then the older I got, like going into high school, there was a lot of anger and like a lot of resentment towards her. She was very into church, like Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night at Spanish church, any church service there was we were there because she was there. I think during high school, I really kind of rebelled against that a bit because you let all these really terrible things happen to me as a kid. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to be like oh everything's great like we go to church now and everything's different because your life is totally different and you know am i supposed to forget about all the bad things that happened to me throughout my life are we supposed to just ignore the fact that you know and i think i went through this period of you let these things happen to us and like you allowed these things to happen to us because you wanted to live your life the way you wanted to and now You're going to church, and we're just supposed to be like, oh, great. Like, Jesus is wonderful, and everything's great. Yeah. The magic band aid of everything feels better because you're not an alcoholic anymore, and you're not, you know, in this bad relationship anymore. So it was hard. It was, yeah, it was a process. I mean, it wasn't all just sweet relief. (laughs) Right.
1: I think too with you know she was starting to like say things you, and you're like I mean all this stuff happened to me as a child when you realize that you're valuable and for me like valuable to people Mm -hmm. valuable in the eyes of God Mm -hmm. then you realize that the things that happen to you in life aren't an accident yeah and then they make you who you're supposed to be Mm -hmm. and for you I mean gosh they're making you like fearless (laughs) and so powerful and so effective in so many people's lives so it's like in the moment I'm sure it was tough for you to process. You let all this happen to me. Yeah. And and now it's kind of like I just see it. It was supposed to be this way. Cause yeah. whether we believe it or not, you're the Nadia that you're supposed to be because
0: of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean that's a hard road to go down, I guess. Like it's a hard train of thought to follow because you're like, well in that case, like all these bad things are supposed to happen so that I can be this person. Like couldn't I just be this person and not yeah. have to go through all those bad things. But You're right. I mean, I think, I think a lot of what, as the Bible would say, like God intended for good, the devil can, you know, the devil uses things for evil or God, or the devil intends things for evil and God intends things for good. Yeah. And both of those worlds exist in the world that we live in, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So there are evil things that happen to us and bad things that happen to us. And it's not a punishment from God. No. But he can take those bad things And use them for his good purposes. Right. And so I think a lot of, you know, my life does point to that. A lot of my life does say like, Wow, look at all these horrible things and Yeah.
1: It's just like broken you know just we live in a world that is so sad and broken yeah and sad and broken things happen to us Mm -hmm. but god can use the sad and broken things to mold us and shape us and affect others and pour into others which i think is very evident in your mom in her life and also in yours all right guys that sound means we're just gonna take a quick break and we'll come right back
0: Hey, this is Mandy Winehusen from the Mommy Jolie blog, and if you're looking for an amazing salon in the New Orleans and Metairie area, you've got to check out Glue. Hair and Beauty, located at 3101 Matary Road. They specialize in color, cuts, extensions, and makeup, and they will have you looking beautiful. And during the month of July, if you mention the code word "Mommy Jolie," you will get a free L'Oreal products with your service purchase. And it's not just a salon; it's a feeling. So, girl, go get your glow on!
1: All right, guys, and we're back with Nadia, and she just got done telling us about her upbringing, her being from New. Orleans, we talked a little bit about our business, talked about her mom's life and the things that her mom went through, the struggles, and how she eventually reached a point in her life where God became a part of her life and she visibly turned her life around for the better. Now, Nadia, this is the main reason why I had you be a guest today. I also want to preface by saying when I had the idea to do this podcast, you were literally the person in my head that I wanted to interview and the reason why I wanted to start it, because I feel like, I mean, not only is your story so powerful, we need to hear the stories of people that, you know, not just business struggles, not just, you know, marriage struggles. I mean, this is this your story is a serious grief It's grief and grief is such a process that so many people go through that they don't really talk about and you feel, you don't want to talk about it. You may, you may feel shameful or you may feel scared. So um, anyway, by saying that, I just want to say that the main reason I started this was for (laughs) this story. So if that means anything to you, just wanted to let you know that. So why don't you give the listeners a little bit of an idea about later on in your life, kind of what your mom was about Mm -hmm. and then leading up to her accident.
0: Sure. Okay. So my mom became a Christian. She got married, started a second family, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. Um, they started a church. You have two
1: younger siblings with, yes. Your mom had two other kids, right? Okay.
0: Yeah. So she had two other kids with my stepdad. Um, they started a church and they started it first at a park like downtown. They called it Sock Church because they would just bring like socks and toiletries. It was kind of like a homeless church. Okay. And all the people that were just like on the street or whoever around there would come and they would preach and then they would give out the socks and food or whatever. And they kind of just were like transient With their church, like, they just kind of moved to wherever they could find a spot or wherever they felt like they were led to go. And that evolved into serving red beans every Monday and the Bywater, like, before the Bywater was, like, cool, trendy, oh, I want (laughs) to hang out there. It was like, oh, the Bywater, don't drive there at night. That's where they were serving hot
1: food. We're going to go to the Bywater and give them some beans. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So they started doing that. And that was her life. Her life really, like, with the family she started with my stepdad and my brother and sister. It was kind of like rectifying everything she did in her past life, if you want to say that, Mm -hmm. with me and my other brother. It was really important for her to like have a family where her kids were innocent and they were kids and they could be carefree and she could just be a stay-at-home mom and take care of them and bring them to school and go on field trips with them. And that was like her life. That was just the most important thing to her. Her ministry, like serving people in need, making sure people knew the gospel truth of who Jesus is. Um, and her message of just like, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you are. Jesus loves you. doesn't matter if you're on drugs. doesn't matter if you live in a flop house. doesn't matter if you're, yeah. you know, smoking crack 10 minutes before you come to get free food. Jesus still loves you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, legitimately people.
1: Just the arms of yes. Jesus. Just loving people. Yes. Mm-hmm. And
0: so that was her life. In October of 2018, she went on her first mission trip by herself. Really? In Samoa. Yes. Oh my gosh.
1: We have friends from Samoa. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So random. It's like I know. It's a random place. I know. It's like kind of like people. Hawaii, but not yeah. like they're like yeah. Islanders. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so they actually worked with um, pastors from Samoa for like a long time. Like they were family friends. That's crazy. Um, yeah. And so they had been before, but the pastors they worked with The wife wanted my mom to come with her on this missions trip because they were doing like a domestic violence, like poetry slam kind of thing. Oh my gosh. I'm sure that was like right up her alley, huh? Uh, Yes. Because she was a writer, she did poetry, she has like a little book that she wrote. Um, So yeah, she was like, she didn't want to go because. She was like, never wanted to do things by herself. Like, she'd be like, I need to go to the grocery store. Come with me. I'm like, I don't want to. She's like, I don't want to go by myself. Come with me. Like, everything she did, she took someone with her because she do not want to do it by herself. Oh my gosh, I love doing things by myself. I know, I know. I'm the same can way. Can I use
1: the bathroom by myself, please? Like, can that's I do like, anything by
0: myself, you know? That's the voice of a mom with small children. <laughs> that's not a personality
1: trait. I always trait. joke, <laughs> side note, I always joke how like, I'll literally be in the bathroom, anytime undressing, using the toilet i need to take my camera out because my daughter will walk in every single locked well i mean i do but i mean like (laughs) i'm just thinking like it's without a doubt always happening like no matter what she comes in there every single time okay i'm like what do you want
0: i lock the door for that very reason i'm like go talk to your dad go go ask your dad about it that doesn't
1: help it doesn't no it doesn't
0: they just rotate they just rotate like back and forth okay and the fingers under the yes Yes. I'm like, Oh my God.
1: I see your fingers go oh, downstairs. Yes. <laughs> anyway. Yep. Okay. So your mom didn't want to do anything alone.
0: Cause she gets invited to this trip to Samoa and she didn't want to go by herself. And so she's like, it's a two week trip. She was going to take her mom with her. Well then at the last minute, my grandma backed out. Well then she was going to take her cousin with her. And then her cousin's like, I can't go whatever. So she ended up going by herself. Turns out she loved it. We were like, Good. yeah, she would call me on like Facebook. I guess she can yeah. call mm-hmm. like through Facebook or yeah. whatever. So she called me a couple times while she was gone. And she was like, oh, it's going so great. Everyone's so receptive. Loved it. Stopped in Hawaii. Stayed at a hotel by herself. Was just how like cute. having a little like dream vacation. She was like, I didn't know how much I needed this time to myself. And Love she it. just loved it. Yeah, she loved it. And so she came back. I guess I should say like she watched my kids. So I work full time. She watched Trinity and Nora for me while I worked. Okay. And so we would see her like every morning, every
1: when you afternoon pick, for pick we would up, which
0: do mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe like a week after she was here, she said, Oh, can you watch Grace and Ezra, my brother and sister on like Tuesday? I guess she texted me and was like, can you watch Grace and Ezra today? Um, we want to go, me and David want to go out and have dinner. Like he wants to take me on a date. And I was like, yeah, sure. And she's like, are you sure if it's too last minute, you don't have to do it? And, you know, what am I doing? I'm like, no, it's a Tuesday night. Yeah, I have of course. children. What yeah. am I doing? So, yeah, I'm like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I go after work. To pick up the kids, all the kids, my kids, her kids, mm-hmm. which I actually didn't know that I was taking them right after school. I went to pick up my kids. And she was like, Oh, well, my kids are going to go with you too because I have to get ready. And so I was kind of aggravated. I'm like, Oh, okay. I said, Well, if your kids are coming with me, you have to take this stuff that's in my backseat because my backseat's full. She's like, Okay, sure. Yeah, put it in my trunk. So they go on their date. I, you know, everyone comes home with me. They go on their date. The kids, like Ezra falls asleep in Trinity's room. Grace and my husband. Christian and Trinity, I think, are watching, like, a movie in the living room. And then me and Nora were laying in my room. And I heard the side door open, like, for my kitchen because she had texted me that she was on her way. And I'm like, sure, you know, no rush. They're watching Santa Paws. Yeah. I'm in the room. Like, we're all hanging out. No big deal because she's like, oh, the valet's taking forever. I'm sorry. Like, we're just getting to the car. No worries. Like, we're all mm-hmm. just hanging out. So I hear the side door open. I'm like, okay, she must be here. I was putting Nora to sleep, so I didn't get up. I just, Nora had actually just fallen to sleep. So I lay there and just kind of like listening, you know, and I hear them like talking. I hear her and Christian talking and I hear Grace and Ezra kind of like, sounded like yelling, but kind of like playful. Like I actually was laying in my bed and kind of like laughed a little bit. Like, oh my gosh, they're so crazy. Like Mm -hmm. they're always goofing off. And then I hear my mom yelling, hey, what are you doing? Get out of here. And so as soon as I hear her yell, I jump out of my bed. Okay, we live in like, lived in like a thousand square foot house. So it's not like I'm running from like the quarters upstairs to
1: like. (laughs) The West Wing. yeah, Yeah, yeah,
0: no, I'm not, you know, trekking forever. I run from my bedroom out to the side door. And when I run outside, I see her car In reverse, so she was driving an SUV, she had an SUV, and I see her car in reverse going over the neutral ground in front of my house, and I see my mom laying on the ground in my driveway, and I see my husband laying on the ground in the street next to the neutral ground, and my brother and sister are standing on my lawn, just kind of like screaming, and it was surreal, like I don't even know how to explain it, it felt like it was like a joke, like it felt like it wasn't happening, like I was like, it honestly felt like a joke, like I was like what's going on, you guys? Like, what's happening? Like, what's going on right now? My brother was like, they couldn't, they're just like, they're ta- they took mom's car or I can't even remember what he said, but they were, you know, like kind of incoherent. And so I ran to the neighbor's house and just banged on their door and they came out and I said, call the police. My mom was carjacked. Call the police. And so they're calling the police. My little brother had actually already called the police. I went and laid by my mom. Who is just groaning her eyes are rolling back in her head and she's just oh, groaning Jesus. and groaning and I'm like mom it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay it's gonna be okay I run over to Christian to try to like shake him because he's in the street he is like not like his eyes are closed I'm like come on like get up come on and he's not moving so I run back over to my mom and she's just you know, she's in bad shape. And so I'm talking to 911, the operator, and I'm like, I think I think my mom just got carjacked. I thought my stepdad was in the car. And so I'm telling them, my stepdad's in the car. Someone has to get here. My stepdad's in the car. They're going to kill him. They're going to kill him. Because the way they drove over the neutral ground, they ran over two trees Jeez. that were on the neutral ground just full speed. They were going full speed. And so, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh my god, they're going to drive down the street and they're going to shoot him because he's in the car with them and they clearly don't care about what's going on right now. (laughs) Yeah. And so I'm telling the 911 operator, like my mom's leg is messed up. I can see the bone in her leg. There's no skin there. I'm sorry. It's like very graphic. It's a very graphic scene.
1: But that was your reality.
0: It was. And a nurse, a neighbor from across the street had come over. A nurse from across the street had come over. And I'm telling the 911 an operator, like the nurse is saying she she needs paramedics. Like the nurse said she needs paramedics. She's doing CPR, but she needs paramedics. And so by this time, Christian had gotten up and he had walked across the street and is leaning on his car. He's banged up, like his, you know, the back of his head's <sighs> bleeding. It was just chaos. Like yeah. I don't I can't even really articulate well for a listener the scene because it was just utter chaos it was me sending my siblings inside so they don't have to see my mom out there like that it was me running in the house telling them it's going to be okay running back outside to check on my mom checking on Christian telling him to stay where he is he's telling me he's fine me telling him he's not fine and just toggling between all of these different places making sure everyone is okay making sure my kids are in the house still my kids are okay Grace and Ezra are in the house. The police finally get there. The police get there and they're like, calm down. You have to calm down. I'm like, I'm not going to calm down. My mom is over here. Yeah. She can't speak to me. She's groaning. She can't, <laughs> like, like right. she's not getting, you know, enough oxygen. There's a nurse here who's a. Uh, uh, it's like
1: no one likes to be told to calm down. No. Regardless. No. In the first place, yeah.
0: don't tell, me, don't to tell me to calm down. down. Yeah. In second place, exactly. Look at what's happening here. Like, listen. <laughs> right, I know. So it was. Um, very intense, and very chaotic. And I just kept thinking like of everything we've been through, like mom is going to be okay because of everything we've been through. And I even told Grace and Ezra, I went inside, I'm like, let's say a prayer it's going to be okay though. I said, mom is strong. Mom is going to be okay. I said, she's going to go to the hospital. Maybe her leg is broken. She's going to go to the hospital and it'll be okay. She's Mm -hmm. going to be okay though. Mm -hmm. And you know, the paramedics got there and I I told them like the paramedics are here and they're going to make sure like she's stabilized and she's going to be okay. And so Christian is like, comes inside, the paramedics take him in, they put a neck brace on him. They take him to the hospital. They take my mom. I'm trying to leave, and the police are like, well, you can't take your car because this is a crime scene. Oh, my car was in the driveway, and so I have to call my aunt. My aunt's not answering, and so I'm like. What a mess. Oh, my gosh. I know. It was crazy town, and so I called another one of my aunts, and she's like, okay, well, you know. She's like, we're all sick. We all have a stomach bug, but I will come and get you, but I just want you to know we all have a stomach bug. I'm like, this is an emergency. Yeah. Like, Mom is going to the hospital, Christian's going to the hospital. And at the time, I just didn't realize the severity of it. Right. So yeah, I I guess I just wasn't maybe as urgent as I could have been on the phone. I also (laughs) called my boss and told him I wasn't coming to work the next day.
1: That's a good good way of doing it. He was like,
0: why are you calling? Why did you call me? Exactly.
1: (laughs) The things you do when you're in panic mode. So you made it to the hospital.
0: Yes. So we get to the hospital. Um, My aunt drops us off. And I go to the desk. The lady at the desk is like, who are you here to see? And I said, my mom and my husband are here. And they ask for their names. And she just, you know, looks in her computer. And then she looks over at the girl next to her. And they're just kind of like looking at each other. And she's like, well, you can't go back there yet. And I said, well, are they okay? My mom and my husband are here. This just happened at my house. Are they okay? And she was like, I don't really know but you can't go back there yet. And so, you know, naturally I'm upset. And I'm like, well, when can I go back there? Because that's my mom and I need to make sure she's okay.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And my husband. And so Christian, obviously when when he left, he was alert. I didn't know the extent of his injuries, but Mm -hmm. he was alert. My mom, I just couldn't tell like what kind of condition she was in. Like in my mind, I'm just thinking, okay, she's going to get in the ambulance and they're going to like, do something and stabilize her breathing or whatever and like she'll be fine so I got there and was just very concerned about like what like how is she just tell me like how is she yeah and so
1: and you're a shoot it straight kind of girl anyway yeah you're like just tell me yes
0: yeah Yeah. I'm like stop looking at each other like (laughs) you know something just tell me and uh so they didn't say anything which made me kind of nervous you kind of start to get that feeling like Something's not right. And so I'm trying not to panic. They finally let me to the back to see Christian. And so I go and see him. He looks terrible. He, he has road rash, basically from head to toe. He has road Jeez. rash. He was dragged probably 60 feet by the car. What? Mm hmm. He was dragged from my driveway to where I found him across the street at the <sighs> neutral ground. Oh my God. So he was dragged probably 60 feet by the car. Uh huh. Um, so he had road rash, he had he had a skull fracture mm-hmm. um in the back of his head from the impact of dropping to the ground from the car. And so that was like their main concern. They were worried about the bleeding. Yeah. But he was lucid. He just kept saying he he just kept saying he was in so much pain. And so, you know, I'm like, who's in charge? Who's the nurse? Who's giving you medicine? I'm yeah. like, did they give you something? And he's like, they gave me something. And I'm like, where's the nurse? What did they give you? <laughs> he says, fentanyl. I'm like, stop messing with me. Now is not the time. <laughs> what did they give you? He's like, fentanyl. I'm like, oh, my God. Now you're going to be like a drug addict. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh my- so many
1: triggers of that one word, Anadia. So,
0: so many things. I'm like, we're already in the freaking hospital. <laughs> now we're going to get oh my gosh, out. Be-
1: <laughs> you can't imagine.
0: So, yeah. So he was serious. Though. The nurse came in and I'm like, well, what y'all give him? And, she, you know, she's like fentanyl for the pain, you know, for the amount of pain that he was in that was what it It warranted Uh and so I was like okay um so I walked out of his room and I saw a police officer in a homicide jacket walk by and you know again it was like seeing those ladies at the front desk it's like one of those like signs that you just kind of feel like okay like something's wrong something's wrong and so still no one had told me anything about my mom And I, you know, I saw the cop walk by, I saw the police officer walk by and I just kind of thought like, well, we're in the trauma ICU. She could be here for anyone. Like she Mm -hmm. could not be here for us because Christian's fine. And so while I was in the room with Christian, a doctor came in, he was like, so this is your husband and kind of like updated me on his injuries. And he said, and your mom was involved in the accident as well. And I said, yeah where is she like I would really like to see her where is she can I see her and he said well I have some news about your mom I was like okay what is it and he's like after trying to revive her um for about 30 minutes the doctor here made the call and your mom didn't make it it was just surreal it was it was unreal he said it and i I honestly didn't even react. I was like, I can't even feel anything right now. I was like, I can't even, I can't even process this. I was like, I feel like this isn't really happening. Like, is this real? Is this real? And I kept asking him that. And he's like, this is real. And I'm so sorry. And I was like is this normal? Because I can't cry. Like, I don't feel anything right now. I said, I just feel like this isn't really happening. Is, is this okay? Like, this is this normal? Because <laughs> I feel like this isn't reality. And he was like, yeah, that's a, that's a really common response because you're in shock. He said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to tell you she didn't make it. The extent of her injuries was too severe. And that was the moment. Little did I know in that moment that would just change be the avalanche of things to come, yeah. Hey, you guys, this is Katie from The Motivation
1: Station. And I don't know if any of y'all know this, but The Motivation Station is under the umbrella of the All Over the Road Productions. So if you like listening to me and you want more of me, then go head over to the All Over the Road podcast, All Over the Road New Orleans. You can find them on Instagram. Or if you really don't like this podcast and you'd like to hear less of me, then why don't you check out All Over the Road? It's All Over the Road New Orleans, right? All Over the Road New Orleans. Check them out. All right, guys, and we're back with Nadia. She just got done telling us the story about her mother's life, the legacy that she left, you know, the accident, all of it. So she just got the news from the doctor that her mother did not make it. So now here we are. And how many years has it been? One and a half. One and a half. Still so recent. I know. When you think about it, can you go in and maybe talk about? The people that were responsible for the accident, for the the crime, the essentially the murder of your mom.
0: Yeah. so so a few days after everything happened, maybe like four days after everything happened, we found out that they had made some arrests and that it was a 17 year old, his 18 year old cousin and his 14 year old brother that were responsible for this. Um, they had gone out and stolen a minivan and then drove that minivan to my house where the 18 year old dropped off the 17 year old to carjack my mom essentially. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think what they did, I think they pulled around the corner to my house because my brother and sister were outside and they said they saw John Charles run up from the corner and which run was up, one of them, yeah, the one that actually did the car, committed the carjacking, okay. I guess you could say. The 17-year-old? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so his cousin and his brother were in the van that they had already stolen. And he kind of, after he stole my mom's car, he followed them back to their neighborhood.
1: Was justice served for your family in regards to the kids?
0: Yeah, the kids that committed the crime. Correct. Uh, I That's hard for me to answer, honestly. I mean, justice in the legal, very broad or very strict, like, legal definition. Yes. yes. I mean, they they were sentenced. They were found guilty or they pled guilty, Um, plea deals for all of them. (laughs) Yeah, we had plea deals for all of them. And so they all pled guilty. They were all sentenced to their respective time in jail. The 14-year-old who turned 15 at I think like by the time of the sentencing was mm-hmm. sentenced to more like community service. He did six months in juvenile detention but he was sentenced to community service and then part of his like plea deal is that he has to get his high school diploma or a GED I think. Okay. So that was that and then the 17-year-old was agreed to 30 a 30-year sentence and the 18-year-old agreed to a 12-year sentence and so with those they is like factored in for good time. I think they just have to serve up to eighty five percent of their time. I think. Okay. Um. So yeah. So how are your siblings doing? I mean, my brother, who is closer to age in, with me, he's twenty seven. Um, he's doing okay. You know, he has his own way of coping, which is kind of like not coping. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That'd probably be me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, to each his own. He doesn't live here, so that I don't want to say makes it easier for him. But I don't think he has to deal with everyday reality of like, oh, that's where me and mom used to go. And like, oh, I remember. Yeah. Things that spark you know, the memories. Yeah. That you
1: have to constantly move through yes. and
0: get through the grief. Yeah. You know, you're not, he's not reminded of it. Right. Less yeah. triggers. I'll say there are probably yeah. less triggers. Less. Um, but he and my mom were really close. He and my mom were very, very, very close. Yeah. Um, so it's, I know it's been hard for him. I've seen him on social media really applaud you
1: in your response to everything. So that's so sweet. You know, he just he talks so highly of you and says how you're just a class act and just so strong throughout all of this.
0: Special for me to hear because he's like, I don't want to say typical guy because I don't want to like pigeonhole anyone into Mm -hmm. one stereotype. Right. But he's not a very like touchy feely. Let's talk about our emotions kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. It means a lot to me when I do see that he – things in that regard, like on social media. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. And then your younger siblings Um, that were there that night? They're doing okay. You know, they're really resilient. We all went through a lot of therapy. They went through a lot of therapy um, and hard therapy. You know, when trauma like this happens, there's something called exposure therapy that is supposed to be the best, like, evidence based way of dealing with things like this. Mm-hmm. And it's basically just to confront the trauma, right? And to tell the story, like, over and over and over again. So each week you go to therapy, which is why I could tell it just now without just crying through the whole thing, um, because of that therapy.
2: That's interesting. And
0: yeah, and I have like recordings on my phone because my therapist made me record it and then listen to it throughout the week. Um, but the first few times I did it, it was just like, and hey, then. <laughs> you know, like, you can't even say it. But they did the same thing, which I think is, like, super brave of them and, like, really intentional of them as Incredible. kids to want to heal that part of their lives. Yeah. Like, I think they were really brave um, for doing that. And they're really, really resilient. You know, they yeah. really they really loved my mom and, obviously, their mom. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard, you know. Like, we have hard days and they have hard days. But – yeah. They're good. They're good kids. They're You're really making resilient. it.
1: I just need to know, like, how do you every day find happiness, choose joy through this immense heartache? Like, if you so can tell kinda, anyone, you know, yeah. something. To- yeah.
0: To uh, lighten the mood. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's It's hard. So, like, I separate the two. Like, so for me, the two are separate. So happiness is kind of like this superficial being content with where we are, what we have in life at this moment. And joy is kind of like this deeper well that's more than an emotion that you can drink from and choose to go to and choose to have that fulfill your life. And so happiness, you know, you always see like these silly quotes like money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you snowballs. And that's kind of the same thing. It (laughs) is kind of that like mentality though, right? Like people are like, what do you do that makes you happy? And you're like, oh, I go to the beach. Or like, I love to go shopping. I like going out with my friends. Right. These are all like superficial things that make us feel emotionally happy and like satisfied for a while and content. And people can live like that. And you see it all the time. Like people have money and they buy a house and a car and a pool and a dog and have a family. And these are all things that there's nothing wrong with that can make us feel happy. But the well of joy that I find in my relationship with Jesus – is really what grounds me from just spiraling out of control into yeah. this like crazy mess of depression and chaos and all of those other things. And yeah. so I think that's a really important like differentiator, you know, because you can, you can survive on going to therapy and doing things repetitiously that will make you feel happy. But if you don't have this like really fundamental, Place that you know you can draw joy from that's bigger than yourself and bigger than things that you can buy or create for yourself you'll always just be trying to fill that hole of sadness basically like you'll always be looking for something to make you feel quote-unquote happy
1: yeah I I can relate to that myself you know okay so one thing I want to touch upon is you've kept your mother's legacy in Red Bean Monday right Mm -hmm. so you go every Monday night to Hollygrove Yes, which is an area in New Orleans Mm -hmm. and you feed the community. Yep. So we've talked about this before, but your heart Mm -hmm. is to later go back to the same community Mm -hmm. that the boys were from that killed your mom Mm -hmm. and you want to serve that community as well. Yeah. I mean, like, (laughs) wow. Where does that come from? Ah.
0: This, like, makes me emotional, which is probably weird because of all the other things that I just talked about and you get emotional.
1: Exactly. You talked about such a horrific accident and what your mother was a victim of, you know, and you still yet want to go back to this community and serve them.
0: Yeah. You know, because I don't think any part of society is disposable. Like, I don't think any person can do something so wrong or so degenerate that you're like, I'm writing you off. You're no good to me. There's no point in trying. I think it's a really dangerous culture that's being cultivated where people can't disagree and can't have conversations where you don't agree with someone without separating yourself from them. Yeah. Um. Because, you know, a society can't exist that way. You can't write people off just because they do something wrong or you don't agree with something they've done. And this is kind of like the worst of the worst situation, if you will. This is basically a parent, a negligent parent whose kids – were just out running wild doing what they thought was fun Mm -hmm. that turned into a a terrible choice that altered the whole course of their lives.
1: I mean, I think you said one time when we were talking that when they were questioning one of the kids that his response was, I don't understand what the big (laughs) deal is. We steal cars all the time. Yes. They literally just had. Yes no concept of the yeah the horror of their decision you know I mean it's like you almost feel sadness for them because that does come from parents and it does come from someone higher up than them maybe not saying like hey life is valuable yeah you matter yes you know you matter yeah all life matters and we need to value people yes and yeah I think I hear you when you say like no one's disposable We all need to remember that about each other. Yeah. You know, for me, I strongly believe that we're all created by a creator, Mm -hmm. God, and we're made in his image. Mm -hmm. And if we could just look at people thinking that in our head. I mm-hmm. think we'd relate a lot differently.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that was kind of like what I loved so much about the way my mom lived was that she never judged anyone based on what they looked like. and Or honestly, the decisions they made. Or the decisions yeah. they made. And honestly, like the night that everything happened, I'm like, I wish she would have just been a little more like afraid because I think she I really honestly, wasn't. Huh? She, she like, was ran out there. She did. She was fighting with him. <laughs> I would have ran inside and locked the door. I know. I been Like, OK, just take whatever you want. <laughs> but I legitimately think that she saw him and was like, I'm not afraid. No. Of you. Like, yeah. And not only that, but like, you're a kid. Like, don't yeah. do this. Like, don't do this. Like, yeah, you're a kid. So true. Turn it around. You know what I mean? Like, I think in that instant, she was like, this is my stuff. And, you know, I told this to them when I went to court. I really think her fight or flight kicked in from so many years of having things done to her and taken from her and so many wrongs.
1: Can you talk about what you said to the kids in court? Yeah. Because you had a minute to look at them.
0: I did. And so I said something similar to uh, the brothers basically you know i told them that their lives were valuable and that they had a purpose and they had a future and i hope this isn't the worst i hope this is the worst decision they ever made and that mm-hmm. the rest of their lives turn out differently and to john trell and edwin the brother and the cousin who have longer sentences you know i felt so strongly that they are seen by god and they are loved by god and I just kept getting the scripture where, you know, the parable of the shepherd who leaves his 99 Mm -hmm. for the one. And Mm -hmm. I told him that in court. I'm like, you, your brother, your cousin, you are the one. And I think so often in society, we just write off criminals and you can see it in the way laws are written. Mm -hmm. Felons can't vote. People get sentenced to years upon years upon years for arbitrary sentencing, basically, for things that are minor crimes, because society basically says Well, that's just who you are. Like, this is clearly the kind of person you are. Mm -hmm. So, why not put you in jail for 10 years? Because you're not going to change. You're not going to be any different. Mm -hmm. The the reality is, even the criminal is that one to Jesus. And that's exactly what I told them. I told John Trell, Moses was a murderer before he was God's mouthpiece. Mm -hmm. Moses was a murderer before he was God's mouthpiece. Think about that. Like, how would we confront that with Jesus? Like, how would we take that up with Jesus? Like, Mm -hmm. really, Lord, you're going to use a murderer, you know, to change the world? (laughs) The Bible is full of boneheads. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was, you know, a really important message for me to tell them to not buy into what society tells them they have to be because of this one decision that they made, that they are loved and they are valuable and there's still time for them to make good choices, even though it might not feel like it, it might feel like, I'm in prison, like what are my options? Get an education, influence the people around you, join a Bible study, mm-hmm. change your life so that when you come out, yeah. you're not the same person you were when you went in. You can do things differently.
1: It's so powerful to me that you could look these people in the eyes who you know took your mother's life and feel so passionate about speaking life into them. It's just amazing to me. Okay, so lastly, can you offer any words of encouragement to anyone that is suffering with grief due to a loss of a loved one?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's hard. I'll be honest. So before I lost my mom, I was like the worst with dealing with people who were dealing with loss. Like I had a friend who lost her mom probably like a few months before I lost my mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And that was kind of, like, it. That was, like, all I ever said. Mm -hmm. That was, like, all I ever did. Because I never knew, like, how to navigate that. Like, it just seems like such an uncomfortable thing. Like, you don't want to keep bringing it up because you're, like, do you want to talk about it? Because, like, we don't have to talk about it. And then, I don't know. I just never felt like I knew, like, the right thing to say or, like, the right thing to do. Right. And after my mom died, you know, I had so many people calling and checking in on me. And I had a friend call me. And she was, like, how are you doing? And I was... I was lost downtown, (laughs) which I work downtown. The hospital is downtown. But I was so like out of sorts just with everything going on. And I was like making U-turns. And anyway, she called me and she's like, how are you doing? And I'm like, I'm doing okay. And she said, you know, it's okay not to be okay. And oh my gosh, like it still hits me Mm -hmm. saying that because it's okay not to be okay. It's Mm -hmm. like sometimes you have to be gracious enough with yourself to fall apart and to yeah. have a bad day and to cry it out and to be like, you know what? I'm not doing the dishes today. I'm sitting on the sofa and I'm crying because I'm sad and I'm <laughs> eating cookies and I'm drinking coffee and I'm not doing anything else. I love that. And that's okay. Like yeah. it can't be every day, but it can be some days. And give yourself the grace. Be gracious yeah. to yourself. That is like my biggest word of encouragement. And if you know. Yeah, I was going to say
1: too, It's it's so true. Like You'd give it to a friend, yes. but you don't give it to yourself. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so that was like, her telling me that was like giving me permission to have my feelings. Like, yeah. it's okay if you're not okay. Yeah. Like, no one expects you to hold it together right now. And so that was really freeing for me. And I think, I think just being, to whatever extent you can, just being present for someone, you know, when they're experiencing loss... There were so many people that just text me like, hey, I'm just thinking about you. Let me know. And then, you know, my same friend would just show up some days and be like, I brought you breakfast. I knew you'd be home. And those are not things that I would ask for or say like, oh, I haven't gone to the grocery in three weeks. I'm just, I'm yeah. just at home wallowing, yeah, right. <laughs> listening to my kids ask for more snacks. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> the hardest part when you're grieving when you have small children is that, I mean, there's really no days off. <laughs> oh,
0: no, no days off. Yeah. And there was just so much other like chaos going on. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom had unfinished projects and right, right. her kids and my kids. And we actually moved out of my house and stayed in a hotel for a two or three weeks, because I didn't want to go back, obviously, to the scene of the crime. And there was just so many things going on. Right. So, you know, you never know when someone loses someone, you never know how much that affects their lives. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a small ripple. Sometimes it's a very large wake that they're going to live in for a long time. And so I would just say, be present, encourage yourself, be gracious to yourself. Yeah. Let people help you. Yeah. Don't be too proud for that.
1: Yeah. That's so great. Okay, Nadia. So at the end of every podcast, since we're reaching the end, I do something called the lightning round. Did you hear it in any of the other ones? Okay. So ladies and gentlemen, it is time for the lightning round. Okay, Nadia, this is when I ask you a bunch of random questions and you just answer them off the top of your head. We've gotten to know so much about you. So personal, (laughs) but now let's lighten it up and maybe hear some things about you that, you know, might brighten the mood. Okay. So what is your favorite word?
0: I say the word like a lot. Yeah, me too. Sorry to your listeners for that. <laughs> Nick's
1: really good over here at taking all the likes out and the ums. So oh, you're okay. Good.
0: I'm so ready to be edited. Yeah. What is your least favorite word? Hmm. I don't know. I think a lot of people don't like the word moist. <laughs> I mean, I guess I could use that since most people don't like it. I don't have a least favorite word either. I'm- I like the word
1: moist when it has to do with a
0: cake. Yeah, yeah. same. I mean, I have no aversion to that <laughs> word.
1: What makes you laugh?
0: Um, this banter, conversation, sarcasm, people yeah. who understand my humor and don't look at me like, what? <laughs> okay, what makes you cry? Um, everything we just talked about. Okay. Everything.
1: What sound or noise do you love? Oh, uh, like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great sound. <laughs> what sound or noise do you hate?
0: Oh, what sound or noise do I hate? My kid calling me from the bathroom saying, Mom, I pooped. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm done. I'm finished. You're old enough to say a full sentence. Wipe your behind. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Okay, who is someone that you admire?
0: So right now I will say Deborah Hoffman, the person I work with on Mondays serving red beans and rice. She has her after school tutoring. She does inner city like work. What's the name of her? Um, It's called... Apple Street Learning Center, um, yeah, and she does after-school tutoring, she does summer camp, she does outreaches, and it's all, like, for inner-city kids and, you know, just to put my own little, like, plug out there. We do do red beans there, but it's so, you know, like, you see so many people right now talking about, like, social reform and what does justice look like and how do we change things and how can we end, like, systemic this and that in the little things. In the little things, like you don't have to go to the White House and protest outside. You can volunteer two hours a week and tutor a kid that's in the inner city that doesn't know how to read in the fourth grade. And guess what? You're going to change that kid's life. And he doesn't have to be a criminal because he's illiterate. So
1: boom. Bam. Love it. That should
0: be your role model, too. (laughs) (laughs) What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would like to be a writer. Okay. Like professionally, people do that, right? I feel like you'd be good at that. You
2: can make enough money. You should doing definitely that, right? write a
0: book. What profession would you not
1: like to do? Ooh, um, the guy that does dirty jobs, like any of
0: those jobs.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like
0: to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well done, good and faithful servant. Like cliche right? Like that's what he's supposed to say. I'm getting into heaven. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Well, Nadia,
1: thank you so much for being here and for being so brave to share all of your story with us. Can you please tell the listeners where they can find you maybe
0: on social media? Sure. So I'm on Instagram, Nadia A Sanchez. So it looks like Nadia Mm -hmm. Sanchez. Um, I'm on Facebook, but like, don't find me there. I'm never on there. What about your? I do have a boutique. Yeah. Yeah, On Instagram, it's fringe boutique NOLA. And then the website is Fringe Boutique NOLA. That's it. I'm not all over social media. Yeah. I'm just, not one place is enough for me. She's
1: very interesting to follow. She says a lot <laughs> of uplifting and um, thoughtful and intelligent things. So y'all go give her a follow. And you can follow us at Motivation Station with Katie on Instagram. And last but not least, to all those dreamers out there, just run with it. Because if you don't, somebody else will.
2: Hey, dreamer, why you got a dream so big? How you gonna fit inside this box we're trying hard to fit you in. Intent, this world is tintless, but it's far from colorblind And I was so sure someday I would find the crack between the black and white A fact that might ignite a change of mind But they say Do you think you are What? The songs, don't get me wrong, just know the words can never rhyme. And I was so sure if I gave them a little time. Maybe they ignore it, press fast forward, but they simply press rewind and they say, oh.